This is Here's How, Ireland's political, social and current affairs podcast, presented by William Campbell. Thank you for downloading episode 15 of Here's How. In this podcast, I'm going to debate the property tax and taxation in general with John Lyons of People Before Profit, also talking about NAMA, Project Eagle and Cerberus. Here's How is Ireland's political, social and current affairs podcast. Make your view heard. Just dial 076-603-5060 and tell the world what you're thinking. Your voicemail may be included in the next podcast. You can find tips on recording your contribution and other ways to contact the show at hereshow.ie slash call. Back in episode 10 of the podcast, I mentioned the Project Eagle, the Cerberus Affair, where Northern Ireland properties were sold to this giant investment company from the US called Cerberus. The way that these properties are owned is complex. It all starts with a bank bailout. The banks, particularly Anglo-Irish Bank and AIB, lent crazy amounts of money to developers and speculators. And when those developers and speculators couldn't pay the banks back, the banks went bust and the Irish government had to step in, or all the depositors would have lost everything. The government also rescued the bank's bondholders as well, but that's a different story. So the banks took your money, your savings, they lost it in a property casino, and rather than you losing your savings, you pay that money through your taxes. And also through your taxes you have to pay the bondholders, but again, that's a different story. Now, remember Brian Lenehan talking about the cheapest bank bailout in history? That was because, he said, you wouldn't have to pay it through your taxes, because in return for bailing out the banks, the government, the taxpayer, you, you would get the right to the repayments on those loans, the repayments from the property developers and speculators. And if they didn't pay back their loans, then they would lose their properties, and the taxpayer, you, would get them. That's the your home is at risk if you do not keep up repayments bit. So NAMA was established to manage all those property loans, to take in the repayments if they were coming in, to take in the property if they weren't. Their job was to turn those assets, the repayment rights or the actual properties, to turn those assets into cash to pay down the huge national debt that we got when we bailed out our banks. Now, sometimes it's a good idea to cut a deal with someone who owes you money. Banks do this all the time. They don't like it, but someone comes along and says, look at I can't pay all my debts, but I'll sign over some assets, I'll sell something, I'll raise some cash some way, and I'll pay you back, say, 75% if you write off the rest. It can sometimes be a smart business move to accept a deal like that, rather than chase them through the courts for years and maybe get nothing in the end. So when NAMA is dealing with borrowers who can't meet repayments, sometimes it might be smart to make a deal like that too. But that gives a problem. When banks are doing that, they're doing it with their own money. That means they fight hard for a good deal, and even if they don't, then in normal circumstances, it's them and their shareholders who lose out. The taxpayer doesn't have to worry either way. But with NAMA, it's politician and civil servant types 
who were doing the negotiating with very hard-nosed property developers and speculators, people who have much more experience cutting deals than they do. So at the best of times, that's a big exposure for the taxpayer. And when NAMA was set up, I highlighted one thing in my book that I think nobody else made a big fuss about. It was made illegal to lobby for a better deal for a property developer or speculator from NAMA. That was obvious. You can go to your politician and get him to twist an arm so that you get a medical card, but you can't go to your politician and get him to twist an arm so you get an extra few million knocked off your repayments to NAMA. But the problem with that law was the sentencing. The maximum sentence, the maximum sentence in that law is six months in jail or a fine of €1,000. Now, you can forget about the jail part. Irish judges just don't send to prison the type of people who play golf with Irish judges. We saw that when Judge Martin Nolan said that it would be, quote, incredibly unjust to send the Anglo criminals Pat Whelan and William McAteer to prison for their part in a half a billion illegal loan scam. So that leaves a maximum fine of €1,000 for a crime that could potentially cost the taxpayer millions, even billions. NAMA has lots of properties in the north of Ireland. That's because those properties were bought with loans from Irish banks, AIB and Anglo-Irish Bank mostly. It doesn't matter where they are, what matters is that the money that was used to buy them is owed to the Irish taxpayer, the Republic of Ireland taxpayers. NAMA, properly, wants to dispose of those properties to get back all the money for the Irish taxpayers. Or at least it should. Those properties, just the ones in the north, were bought with €5 billion euro worth of loans. That money is owed to the Irish taxpayer. So along comes Cerberus. NAMA sold all those properties, or the loan books, the right to the repayments on them, for 1.1 billion euro to Cerberus. Now, fair enough, those properties may not be worth what they were worth at the peak, but that's still a crazy discount, 1.1 billion out of 5 billion. Cerberus are paying something like 27% of their book value. According to what Mick Wallace said in the Dole during the week, Cerberus had negotiated to sell some of those properties before they had even done the deal with NAMA. In many cases, they were doubling their money just for shuffling paper. The loyalist blogger Jamie Bryson has made a series of claims that various politicians and business people were to be paid bribes by Cerberus to secure the deal. Now, Bryson has an agenda and you might question how and why he gets his information. But what he says has a habit of being confirmed in the mainstream media. In particular, £7 million sterling was in a private, personal, offshore Isle of Man bank account of a lawyer working indirectly for Cerberus. Bryson and others have said that this was a slush fund for bribing politicians, and nobody has offered a better explanation. But even without relying on Bryson's claims, look at what NAMA did, what is publicly admitted. They sold a vast amount of property at a huge discount in one single lot 
in such a way that almost nobody except a giant investment fund could bid. If, as Mick Wallace said, if Cerberus could break it up and sell it off in smaller chunks and make a massive profit, why couldn't NAMA do that? That way of doing business is costing the Irish taxpayer, the Republic of Ireland taxpayer, billions, billions of euro. Joan Burton was asked in the Dáil during the week about the matter. This is what she said. This is a northern matter. As you've rightly described it, this is a northern matter. That's just astonishing. She's not a member of Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael. She is the leader of the Labour Party, supposedly fighting to protect services and welfare payments for the less well-off, and she is barely interested in the loss of billions by the Irish taxpayer through crime or, at best, gross incompetence. But there are some people who might not be put off by an international border or two. The American Foreign Corrupt Practices Act is a serious piece of legislation. It makes it a crime for an American citizen or company to pay a bribe anywhere in the world. And the Americans enforce it. Being the type of person who is friends with a judge doesn't get you far. Big companies have paid huge fines, and in some cases executives go to jail. Siemens had to pay $800 million. Halliburton, the company of the former Vice President Dick Cheney, paid $579 million in fines. I mentioned in episode 10 of the podcast back in July that this might not be a scandal that the Irish establishment can keep a lid on if the US Department of Justice begins an investigation and they really have teeth. Now it seems that the Americans are interested. On the 7th of September, they sent a subpoena for information on the Project Eagle, that's the sale of the Northern Ireland NAMA properties, they sent a subpoena for information about that to Cerberus. The Americans are interested, but Joan Burton isn't interested. This is a Northern matter. As you've rightly described it, this is a Northern matter. Do you agree? Do you disagree? If you want your point of view heard, dial 076-603-5060 and leave a contribution for the show. The lines are open 24-7 and you can find tips on how to record a good contribution and other ways to contact the podcast at hereshow.ie slash call. The People Before Profit councillor for Beaumont Donamede is John Lyons. He's also their Dáil candidate in Dublin Bay North in the upcoming general election, and he's on a Skype line with me now. John, what happened in Dublin City Council with the local property tax vote? Well, hi there, William. Yes, we voted, a majority voted in favour of reducing the local property tax by the full 15% uh, amount, which we believed was the correct thing to do. Um, it went against the advice of Owen Keegan, the Dublin City Manager, who wanted us to retain it at the current level. But we believed that to ease the burden off those middle and low-income people who are also homeowners, we believed that the very minimum that we could do for them is to reduce it by the full 15%. So it was passed by 47 in favour of the full 
uh, reduction of 15%. 12 councillors were against it and there was one abstention. So very clear uh, signal from Dublin City Council is that we were fully in favour of the reduction of 15%. And many of us made the point also that we actually want to see the abolition of this local property tax because it's a very regressive way, we believe, to fund local government services. Just to be clear, in the law, the most that you're allowed to reduce it by is 15%. So you went for the full whack on that. And you yes. mentioned that, that it's a regressive tax which technically means that it collects more or a higher percentage of the income of lower paid people than of higher paid people. What I want to do is I just want to read to you Mm -hmm. a brief part of a post from your colleague, the Green Party councillor, Kieran Koff. He wrote, uh, Dublin City Council dropped local property tax by 15%, as you say, against the CEO Owen Keegan's recommendation. Mm -hmm. That means less money for libraries, pedestrian crossings, senior citizens services, opening locked parks, fixing footpaths and roads, oh, and housing and homeless services will will feel the pinch as well. You'll save 60 euro if you own a house that is worth 250,000 or a thousand euro if you live on Shrewsbury Road. That's very, very little to give to ordinary people compared to the cost of uh, the reduction that you're giving to people who own the most expensive houses, isn't it? Well, sure. Uh, like I, this point has been made several times over the past year since we last, for the first time uh, last year, voted to reduce the LPT by the 15% uh, maximum amount. And I think, you know, we have to look at it in the round. There's been huge reductions. Local government has been starved of funding over the past, particularly the past eight years since the bank bailout of 2008. There's been over a 20% reduction from the Department of the Environment uh, Fund for local government services. There's been a reduction of over 9,000 staff over the past 15 years uh, in the different local authorities across the country. So we've been starved of funds, of resources, both financial and uh, human. And I think the introduction of the LPT, which I do truly believe and people for profit believes and many people believe that it was very unfair. It was a very inequitous tax to hit people on the one major asset that they'll ever own, which is the, the house that they turn into a family home. And we believe as a proportion of many people's income, uh, it hits those on middle and low incomes harder than it does the people who own homes on Shrewsbury Road. But that, that may be true, but... Your cut helps people on Shrewsbury Road an awful lot more than it helps the average person. Uh, a 250,000 euro house is a fairly standard uh, house sure. in Dublin. They're getting 60 quid. That's like five euros a month. They're not going to notice it. A grand a year is quite a lot of money. Well, that's where we have to step back and look at the taxation system that we currently have in Ireland. And I think we do need to overhaul it radically so that we actually get those people, the people on Shrewsbury Road, to a more progressive income tax structure. And that way, you know, if you introduce a uh, top rate of tax of 48% on those who earn incomes over €100,000 a year, that way you can, you know, get those people who do live on Shrewsbury Road, and I imagine many of whom do earn over €100,000, they can contribute uh, to a progressive taxation system through the income tax. And that way, uh, they will be playing their part in funding the services, the infrastructure uh, that runs this country. And I think that's well, how thing, you look one at thing, it. One thing I want to acknowledge is that, you know, you're a small party, you don't have an input into the tax policy, and you also don't have an input into the fact that of how that is distributed. That's a fait accompli that you were dealing with. But 
one thing in well, Ireland... No, no, you... I, I, I disagree with that. I think we all have a right as, as people who live in this country who contribute uh, lots and lots of our uh, hard-earned money towards the taxation system to keep the country going. I think each and every person in this country has a right uh, you know, to input in the debate around taxation because we currently have... Overall, oh, you, you have a right to an input in the debate. I'm not yes. disputing that. I'm just saying that people before profit didn't have any role in the setup of the structure, that you were only allowed to vote for a 15% sure. cut. You didn't have an opportunity to decide how that particular tax cut would be distributed. Uh, that, that's the part that I referred to was okay. a, a fait accompli. Um, but you mentioned increasing the income tax uh, take in order to fund services. Mm-hmm. One thing about that, Ireland differently to almost every other developed country, collects a very, very large proportion of its taxation from income tax and a very low proportion of its taxation uh, from asset taxes. Mm -hmm. And the one asset tax that we have, the property tax, is really the only one that's viable because you can't move a house to a tax haven, you can't move factories or fields or whatever Mm -hmm. to a tax haven, but pretty much any other wealth you can. So if we're taxing wealth, we're going to be taxing property. And uh, if we're not taxing wealth, then all taxation goes on income. Is that a rational strategy? Well, no, like this is an interesting debate because I do think we need to look, and this is uh, part of my contribution to the debate uh, last Tuesday evening in the, the council chamber, was that you could actually look to introduce a real wealth tax that excludes the primary principal residents, i.e. families' homes. And that could actually garner a lot of money for the revenue uh, commissioners uh, to use uh, to fund our public services. So Nat O'Connor of the uh, Nevin Economic and Research Institute going off uh, the figures from the uh, CSO. So, so specifically, other than, other than property, what can you tax that's, uh, uh, that is an asset? You can, uh, well, excluding the principal primary residents, you've got uh, many people who have a property portfolio. So you actually you can introduce a tax on that stocks, shares, savings. There are many ways. OK, so Dan, let's 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 just look at that. Mm-hmm. Um, stocks and shares can be owned in almost any jurisdiction. That's going mm-hmm. to be something that's going to be very, very hard to tie down. Uh, and if a significant tax advantage exists to owning those shares in a different jurisdiction, then that's what people is, are going to do. You might mm-hmm. say that it is just or on a point of principle, you bring in a tax on them, but you're not going to catch much money. Well, Nat O'Connor, as I was saying, William, uh, from the Nevin Economic and Research, uh, Research Institute, mm-hmm. uh, using CSO household budget uh, data that the CSO had gathered, had showed that if you were to introduce a very, very, very light wealth tax, uh, and he says this is at the very early stages because it's the first time that actually a lot of the information on the wealth in Ireland held by households was gathered into one place by the CSO. So he says we're at the very early stages of gathering and an- analysing uh, this kind of wealth information. Mm-hmm. But, that, but that if you were to introduce a slight tax on that wealth that you could garner about conservatively, he's saying, because, you know, you have to introduce it, uh, you know, he didn't use these words, but in baby step formation, that you could actually softly, garner... Softly, softly, catchy monkey. Well, yeah, you know, that you could actually, you know, garner for the, the revenue each and every year about 400 million. And this is this is a tax on properties outside of excluding family farms and family homes. Okay, so, so down, so down the, yeah. with that a little bit. Um, 
for property, you have mm. family farms and family homes. Okay. Mm. You also have office and commercial space, tax and mm. businesses. You also have, uh, well, as you said, property portfolios. Isn't it the case that a tax on properties owned by a landlord is going to ultimately be paid by the tenants? Well, no, that's one way you could look at it. But I just think we have to have a fundamental uh, discussion, a national discussion about how we fund our country, how we fund our services. And I think mm-hmm. the, the, the redistribution of the wealth in society at the moment, and I made this point during the, the meeting at Dublin City Council that voted for the 15% reduction, that the top 10% of Irish households in this country have over half the wealth. They, they, they currently own 52.3% of all the wealth. They also but, pay over half the tax. But that's as it should be. Yeah, in, no, not in, disagree in, with in a, that. But, but I'm just society. wondering, can you get a lot more out of them? Well, of course you can. And it's not about getting a lot more out of them. We all pay our way. This is the, the point of it. Like, I think anyone that I've ever come across from my mother and father, friends and families and colleagues and people that I meet out in the streets, everyone knows that you have to pay for public services. Everyone knows that you have to pay for the teachers that teach your children. Everyone knows that you have to pay for the nurses, the doctors, the whole, the hospital porters, the cleaners. We know these things. That's, the, you know, the, the basis of a decent society is that everyone contributes according to their means. And according to their means means that those who have more wealth need to contribute more. It's it's not some revolutionary demand. It's to have a basic level of decency where those who earn the most contribute the most. To oh, the come on, John. I, I was I was relying on getting a revolutionary demand for <laughs> Well, in this day and age where social democratic parties such Seriously? as the Labour Party have moved to the right, the social democratic demands do seem to be revolutionary these days. I take your point that um, people on a point of principle uh, should pay more if they earn more and that even token taxes are important from a point of principle. But mm. we also need to raise the amount of money to pay, as you said, the teachers, the uh, Gardaí, the health service and so oh, forth. Yes. During pretty much the first decade of this century, mm-hmm. there was an enormous expansion in the spending by the state. That was uh, paid for off the back of borrowing. Before mm. 2008, that was paid for by taxes on borrowed money from huge mortgages. After 2008, that was paid for by borrowed money, borrowed directly from the state, which massively expanded the national debt. Mm-hmm. We're still spending considerably more than we're taking in in tax. Isn't it very difficult for you guys that you have to say, look, either in total, Irish people are going to pay more tax or they're going to get less services? Well, no, like I, I do think you're correct to say that how this country was funded uh, through the Fianna Fáil years under Bertie Ahern with the Progressive Democrats was uh, very unstable and left us in a very, very vulnerable position when the property uh, bubble burst. Uh, it meant that all those transactional taxes, such as stamp duty, which uh, the successive governments had actually depended upon to fund a lot of uh, the services, as you say, the salaries and whatnot of the public sector uh, disappeared pretty quickly. Um, And I I do think we need to actually have a really honest discussion about how, what we take in, where we take it in from, who we take it in from, i.e. the money, the taxes that we pay and the services that we should be providing, I believe, as a council and as a government. And I do think things like basic, basic things, William, such as housing, which Dublin City Council and 
government seem to be retracting from the provision of public housing. Mm-hmm. I think I think water obviously is a major issue right now, and I think waste management is a serious issue in the city of Dublin. Uh, a lot of people can't afford to pay their private bin charges at the moment. These are basic services which I believe and People for Profit has proposed over several years that should be funded through our taxes. John, I agree with you that we should have a discussion and that's one of the reasons I'm talking to you. Mm -hmm. But I want to give you a quotation from someone who I suspect you don't agree with very often, but I think he got it right when Michael McDowell said that if electricity was free, you'd leave the lights on all night. Now, there are some services where the use of them is well policed. Uh, So, for example, nobody goes to the health service if they don't really need it most of the time. But if people see that there is a a connection between how wastefully or otherwise they use water and how they pay for it, then people are likely to be more conservative with a small c. They're likely to conserve water more. If people see that they must pay for a certain volume of rubbish being taken away, then they're more likely to use that resource conservatively. Isn't that true? No, I'd have to completely uh, disagree with you, William. I I do believe that uh, there's a notion out there, and it's been peddled a lot, particularly around the water charge issue, that if we go the way we currently are, which is the fairest way to fund our uh, water and sanitation services, which is through the taxation system, that way uh, your access to water isn't dependent upon how much money you have in your pocket. But no, but hang on a second. If my neighbour is, is, if if I'm, no, no, hang on a second. If I'm turning off the taps while I'm brushing my teeth and my neighbour is filling a swimming pool, washing his car every second day, why should I pay the same amount as him? Sure, and I think that that's a line of argument that, that has been put to us over the past year and a half in relation to uh, the campaign against uh, the introduction of the water charges. And I, I just think we have to, to knock it on the head, William, because... Well, why? Tell me, give me the well, reason. Well, because Enda Kenny, uh, and you use the issue of turning uh, the tap off when you're brushing your teeth, he used that in the early days of 2014 as one example of how we conserve water, most certainly. But the impression was given that Paddy, before going to bed, Go, runs back down the stairs, goes into the kitchen and turns on the taps to leave them run on a light. It's just not the case. People, no, 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 but hang on a second, hang on a second, John. There's, there's research on this and there's very clear evidence that people, the higher up the income chain, the more water they consume and it's quite a sharp increase. And there's no question that some people do turn off the tap while they're brushing their teeth and some people don't. And that makes a difference and the, either the whole of society must pay for everybody or people pay for their own individual use. Wouldn't a fairer way to be to say, okay, well, everybody gets so much, so many litres per day for free and after that you pay a metered charge? No, again, uh, I'd have to fundamentally disagree because I think how, you, how we should look at this is that the fair, look to see which is the fairest way to fund such services such as water and I do truly believe that you cannot introduce a regressive user charge for such a basic necessity of life such as water. Now if you want to talk about conservation I do think there needs to be a national educational campaign as regards how we can all help uh, to conserve water. I think we need to look at putting uh, water conservation measures into our statutory planning uh, obligations Mm -hmm. most certainly. We need to talk about rainwater harvesting. I think it's ridiculous that you have, uh, when you could have grey water being used for toilets, dishwashers and washing machines, that you actually have treated water expensively 
uh, treated water been used uh, when you're flushing the loo. So you need to have dual flush loos as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's many different things that we can do uh, as regards uh, conserving water, including primarily, and I think in the here and now, one which is very clear to many people, particularly in my area, because they've actually stopped the, uh, the installation of water meters, is rather than putting meters, expensive meters, over half a billion is going to be spent on solving these water meters, why not use that money to get the local authority walker water workers to actually fix the leaks. That is one major conservation element that you could actually implement over the next six months. Cease the program of water meter installation and go about fixing the leaks. A lot of the uh, water infrastructure in this country needs uh, radical, radical improvements because there's been a huge, a huge decrease in the funding of water services for the local authorities, particularly over the past 10 years. So there are many ways we can conserve water. I, and I fundamentally uh, believe that introducing a user charge for it is not the way to go about it. John Lyons, Dublin City Councillor for People Before Profit in Beaumont Donamead, also Dáil Candidate in Dublin Bay North. Thank you for talking to me. Thank you, William. Thank you. Make your view heard. Dial 076-603-5060 and leave a contribution for the show. You can find tips on how to record a good contribution and other ways to contact the podcast at hereshow.ie slash call. And that's almost the end of episode 15 of Here's How, Ireland's political, social and current affairs podcast, published on the 26th of September 2015. References for everything that I mention in the show are listed in this episode's page on the hereshow.ie website. If you can think of a topic or want to suggest someone to include, and that could be you, then let me know. And if you like the podcast, please go on iTunes and write a nice review. Also, please like the show on Facebook, please follow at Here's How Podcast on Twitter, and of course, subscribe to the show. You can use iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or any other podcast app or software. You can do all of that, or get in touch with the show right from www.hereshow.ie. The next show will be uploaded shortly. The Here's How podcast is produced and presented by me, William Campbell. Thank you for listening. (music) 